Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This podcast series explores HR hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life HR learning and OD professionals. The HR Uprising is about learning through collaboration and evidence-based action. We want colleagues to have the confidence and skills to rise up through their organizations by delivering real, lasting business value. Now, introducing your host, chartered psychologist, experienced change agent, entrepreneur, speaker, and coach, Lucinda Carney. Hello, and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney, and I'm inspired this week to talk about a subject that came up at the Women of Silicon Roundabout conference that I was involved with last week for me, but by the time you hear this, it'll be two or three weeks ago. So uh, as a result of that, it wasn't a subject that I'd been involved in before. And as you've seen from the title, it's about why women leave tech jobs. Now, don't worry if you're tuning in, you think that's not relevant to me. I'm not going to go down some feminist route. I do think this is a much broader topic about how we retain talent. And it's not just female talent. It could be all kinds of um, different types of people that we need to keep in an organisation. So it's about diversity, uh, it's about young people, old people, people of ethnic minorities. Um, and speaking to you as a middle-aged white female, uh, I know there's plenty of other people who have greater disadvantages uh, in the workplace. But it's our role as HR professionals to get the best out of people and keep talent in the workplace performing. And there were some great themes Really, from this conversation that I facilitated, we found out some of the problems which were causing people to leave, and most importantly, some really great suggestions of things that were going on out there that maybe might be of use to you. So hopefully, this actually will be a topic that is of interest, even though you may not have automatically thought so. Before I go into that, though, I would like to just say a few thank yous. I've been really, really touched by people reaching out and either connecting with me or giving me feedback about things that have worked for them in the podcast. Also, obviously, if there's something that I can improve, we're all here to learn. So please feel free to do that. People have reached out to me through LinkedIn and other social media and also joined our LinkedIn group and they're starting to talk, which is fantastic. So please do do that. If anyone does want to get more involved, join the conversation. It's quite easy. There are links on our show notes or just remember hruprising.com. So that's where you can go and access any of the show notes, any of the links, anything we refer to if there's additional resources. And we've also got um, other things there like the LinkedIn group addresses and various URLs. So LinkedIn, go to hruprising.com and you'll be able to find more information there. So back to the subject in question. As I mentioned, I was asked to facilitate on the topic of why women leave tech jobs for the recent Women of Silicon Roundabout conference. And I must admit, I didn't actually realise that there was a difference between women leaving tech jobs. So it was a bit of a surprise to me. I was just given the subject and I was doing something where my job was not to be subject matter expert, but I had to facilitate a conversation. Interestingly, I was, well, I had about 200 people in the room, maybe slightly more. So it was a little bit daunting. Thankfully, I did do a bit of homework at the weekend before there. And I did find that it is very clear that women in tech roles leave jobs or tech jobs at a disproportionate rate compared to men. 
I mean, I only scratched the surface, but the examples were things like saying that women were leaving tech jobs at twice the rate of men, and something like only 26% of women with STEM degrees were working in the tech field compared to 40-plus percent of men. Now, as I say, it's not just about male-female. I'm actually really not keen on that overly going down the gender piece because I think it can backfire, actually. But just thinking about equality, what is it that we're not doing or what is it culturally that's you know causing this this lack of lack of talent and particularly given that I have been involved in stem programs with schools and there's so much work getting girls to take up these subjects well it's nonsense isn't it if that once they've done those they're achieving and and getting the qualifications then they're not able to use them because they're leaving the workplace now Obviously, many of us will have thought, is it the old childcare thing? And of course, there is something there. And I think that stems across all industries. When women have children, uh, you know, at the end of the day, many of us are in environments where you have two parties working or you actually have to have two incomes. And childcare is not cheap. Very often, it's the lower paid salary, which is one which will, I guess, give up work. And that doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be the woman, but it more often is. Actually, personally, I'm in a situation where we had it the other way around. My husband took redundancy in order to look after our small children. So if you are in the position where you're not particularly well paid, and that definitely is the case for tech jobs and probably not just women, and I'm sure if I think about healthcare services and other ones, then you can see that that is going to have a knock-on effect. Maybe not the first child, but the second child, it just doesn't become tenable to go back to work. There is also the element where I think anecdotally that women want to have more flexibility in terms of once they've had children, they want to be able to go to the school play. They don't want to feel that they're actually uh, not being a parent. So we didn't comment on working hours there. I think that's a broader thing about flexible working. And you know what? Men should have that too. But let's focus on this topic in hand. The conversation about why women were leaving was much, much broader, and I found it quite shocking. So we had ladies in the room who had experienced this, and there was a lot of passion. So my concern about me having to facilitate a conversation and drag questions and responses out of people were not founded. We had a a very active debate, and it was great. So if anyone's listening who is part of it, thank you for that. So there are some causes that came up and there is research out there, but I'm going to focus more on the stuff that people talked about. Uh, if you do want to look at the research, there was uh, some research by Athena, a company called Athena.org, which had a, a great set of statistics around why people were leaving and some real real hard-hitting numbers around men versus women uh, in terms of if they didn't have mentors, women's ideas being listened to, some quite compelling evidence of inequality if anyone out there is still thinking that it's not real. So I'm going to summarise the four causes is what I'm summarising it up to as to the themes that people said as to why people were leaving on this particular occasion. Career prospects was one of them. The second one was something I'm going to call subordinate bias. That's a term I've made up and I'll explain it in a moment. The third one was lack of role models or mentors and the fourth one was I'm going to call it personal criticism or personal feedback. So if we start off with career prospects, I think that is much more obvious uh, for many of us. But clearly, and this was backed up in the Athena research that I read, the females did not feel that they had the opportunities 
that their male counterparts had. Now, given that that is something which is managed by HR or L&D or OD, this is something we should be able to do something about, to my mind. They felt that if they went for male jobs, uh, sorry, if they went for the same job as a male, then uh, they would be less likely to get it. They weren't invited to apply for similar jobs. And I just wonder whether this is that uh, thing that's come through in research that I've come across before, where women look at a job description and see the 20% that they can't do and decide not to apply, and men flip it round. There's been research that, that suggests that it's almost an attitude about going for jobs. But the way to overcome that would be by... HR or managers identifying people with talents, maybe asking them whether they'd be interested in that role. So it's almost like they felt they were looked over or no one was actually actively encouraging them to go for it. So career prospects, I think that's something we can do, we should be doing something about across an entire organisation, absolutely with, with any minority. It should be a way, are we looking at not only our recruitment bias, but our uh, in inherent bias in terms of uh, developing people. And I'm thinking back to my experience in a large organisation. When we asked for people to go on project teams, it was the usual suspects. Now, I'm not saying that they weren't the right people, but we had no visibility really beyond what senior managers, the, the route of getting people quite often was asking the senior managers who would be good for that job. And if that senior manager has an inherent bias or just doesn't know how good certain people are because their manager doesn't promote them or they don't promote themselves, then it is going to be this reinforcement of habit of the status quo. So for me, if I was back in that environment, I would want to change that and I, I would look at how systems could help. Uh, I mean, we didn't really have systems with visibility then, though it the easiest way of getting nominations was by asking people. But maybe we could have tried harder. We could have gone down to uh, individual nominations. And I do remember we did do that uh, at a later stage with um, high potentials. Rather than nomination, we got people to self-nominate and be uh, backed up. But again, if you self-nominate and you're not backed up by your manager because your manager's not supportive, that wouldn't be a perfect solution. So those are just some ideas. That's me thinking out loud there. But career prospects is the number one, is one of the major ones why people were leaving. Now, my second one is something I'm going to call it a subordinate bias. So it's almost like saying that these people, these women in these tech roles particularly, were saying that they felt like they were always treated as a subordinate. And a term that I came across, which I've never heard of before, was called glue jobs. And they said that basically they were always given the glue jobs. And an example of a glue job would be, ah, oh, you're the only female at the meeting. Could you take the minutes? Uh, would you mind organising the team day out? You're good with people. So they'd actually get, maybe because of their interpersonal skills, they would get us to do those organisation, those coordination jobs. I mean, actually, speaking as someone who's a CEO of a company, I end up doing the minutes um, our board meetings, which I really ought to be able to delegate, but uh, I, I'm not even particularly good at minutes, frankly. But anyway, uh, what is it about us that we go, oh, I'll do it? Perhaps this isn't just the you know people around us. It's the fact that we let ourselves take on the glue jobs in order to be helpful. Maybe something to reflect on is this is something that other people identify with. That only just came to me, of course. I shall think harder about how I can offload my glue jobs. 
Anyway, those are the sort of things that people were finding that they were almost expected or they could feel that, and, and their sense, because they were in the minority, you know, that because they were the only female, they were being asked to do those kind of jobs, uh, which were more menial and also quite time consuming. Anyone who's organised a Christmas party or you know, a sweepstake, anything like this sort of thing that's adding value in terms of the social aspects, they do take up time. And that might well be taking them away from their professional development or an ability for them to be seen in a, a more elevated professional light. So it's almost like people were automatically putting them into a subordinate role because of their gender. The next point that came up regularly was a lack of role models or mentors. And I mean, that is a chicken and egg thing. Uh, and one point I'd make here that there's a, a lady who, whose name I'll mention later, actually, I spoke to on LinkedIn afterwards because she summarised at this particular event really well. But one point she made was, it's all very well looking for the female role models. But if once you get somebody up to that level, so they're going to be in the minority, they can't be the role model or mentor for every woman in that business. We have to look to men too. If you put all of that onus on the female role model, you're going to break her and you're back to square one. I thought that's quite a relevant job. And again, that is something which is relevant to do with mentors more generally. Again, in organisations I've worked in, the same people are the ones that are continually requested as mentors. And if you don't have a route of off, what I used to do is make sure that there was a natural end to a mentoring relationship. Sometimes you can have where someone comes in the mentorship starts but never ever ends and so you end up with a, a you know a senior person with ridiculous numbers of mentors and they can't add value and actually uh, they can't take any new ones on so i always feel that there should be a beginning and end to a, a formalized mentoring process uh, and we have to be careful not to overload people because again it's that bias towards the usual suspects they were good at that role i'm going to recommend them for the next one and then finally, they, it, I'm going to call it personal criticism, but people gave examples of where they just were given feedback, which was different to men. So somebody might say, well, you were a bit aggressive in that meeting or you got a very, you've got a very kind nature, sort of subjective feedback about their female traits uh, no, aggressive isn't, but or non-female traits. So that would be more critical. So either critical if they were being assertive, so it might be pushed over, but it might be described as aggressive, whereas someone of a different gender might be just called assertive or you know driving things through. So they felt that they were given uh, derogatory language was applied in professional settings. So they might be having an appraisal. Uh, so I'm talking about you know behaviours, but it wasn't. I saw you know good quality feedback where you're saying I saw you do this. And um, and I heard you do that. People were making judgments and there were value judgments which were derogatory or, or sort of over over portraying their femininity as opposed to their capability and their professionalism to do the job. And again, I think that would probably be quite unconscious. And to address something like that, I do feel that managers need development. They need to hear themselves saying something like this to actually realise that they're doing it because a lot of this thing, this sort of thing is quite inherent. And again, we know that there is evidence around that. There was a study recently about 
female entrepreneurs going for funding where they showed that uh, they were uh, investors asked different questions to females from men unconsciously but they're different they asked questions about risk to females almost pushing women into defensive mode as opposed to more aggression and success and goal orientation to men so we have these perceptions and we will often as human beings it is known that we will try and reinforce the way we see the world and we have perceptions about people who are different from us whether they're male female young old a different uh, a different ethnicity or religion we have perceptions and often we will unconsciously try and reinforce those perceptions and that's not just at interview we know about the halo and horns effect at interview clearly it still goes on more deeply in an organisation and we need to think about how we can educate people. And by the way, we know that unconscious bias training doesn't necessarily work. So we have to think more deeply about how we can do that. So we've talked about the problems and I think they're real uh, and, and more applicable than just to women in tech. So what solutions have people come up with? And there were a number of great ideas and actually I would have loved to carry that on longer. In fact, if anyone's listening to this podcast and they've got other brilliant ideas, please share them. Um, maybe join the uh, LinkedIn group and share them there. So I've got them all in one place. So I'm going to theme these again into four because I think it's easier if I give some structure around it. Training was one. Mentoring slash one-to-ones was another. Setting rules of conduct was a third. And then finally, having a workplace pal was the fourth. And I'll explain what they are. So training was where, uh, and there's been, there was a particular person there who runs an organisation who does training in this area. This was actually around training the women to have more self-confidence, to maybe think about how they portray themselves uh, and help them to stand up if they felt downtrodden to actually, or were given a glue job to have an appropriate response with which to kindly not do it or push it back. So actually training and supporting women, definitely that that's, can work uh, in terms of that and maybe more broadly in terms of training. I think training, giving people awareness and interaction around uh, this sort of thing, the, the impact of it and how to avoid it, which I think is actually about good quality feedback, whoever you're talking to, then yeah, that can see that's a, that's a worthwhile thought. The second one where this was quite a big one, and I think a few people were doing this sort of thing in different ways. So I'll badge it as mentoring. Uh, But one lady was talking about it, and I think she was from the BBC, and she said that they were doing upward mentoring. And that was upward mentoring would be almost where you're pairing someone who's more junior with someone who is more senior, maybe a junior female with a more senior male. And they're teaching each other. You tend to hear it about things like, I've heard of it, where, you know, we're teaching, we, uh, people who are my child's age, uh, are teaching the the grown-ups who are myself or older how to use technology. For example, we've got somebody in our workplace who's actually shown us how to use YouTube, which was a mystery to most of us. Uh, So upward mentoring, perfect. We can all learn from each other. But that's tended to be about the sort of technology thing. So actually the information was going from the individual up to the uh, yeah the person they were mentoring. And I think it's more there that there's a side effect of the individual. And if we do go to the stereotypical uh, middle-aged or 50-plus white man, 
what it has shown, what has been said a number of times is actually it's when they have daughters who are going into the workplace that they suddenly realise of the obstacles. Uh, and or another way of helping them is by getting them to pair up with somebody in the workplace, build a personal relationship, realise their uh, capability. I'm not sure whether we're encouraging them to be paternalistic. I'm not sure, but just realise the potential in a female or in a young female, I guess, and help them forwards. So that is more traditional mentoring too. But anyway, mentoring is what people are talking about. But they also talked about just pairing people up in sort of one-to-ones and encouraging them to go and talk, but in a more structured way. This was a different company. So you just would have male and female pairings and it could be, you know, different ethnicities and just being overt about the fact that they are paired and they're different. And quite often with mentoring and buddies, people get paired with people that they like and might mean that they already think the same. So really looking for complementary pairings. And that's where you encourage people to get together and talk about the challenges that they have in the workplace for real. So that's another way. And I think we probably could have a whole podcast on how to set up a quality mentoring relationship. So I can't go into that here, but um, you do need to think about the rules and the structure around that and how it's set up for success, in my opinion. Uh, it doesn't, you can't automatically pair people and it won't, if you, well, you can, but it won't work 100% of the time. So get, making sure that I would recommend if you are thinking of doing these sort of things, make sure that like if you have a coaching role, you have some sort of contracting that goes around it to give it structure and to give it rules. And actually, as I said earlier, to give it a start and a finish so both parties can know that this is only going on for X amount of time. If they carry on having a, a good relationship after that, which is absolutely fine, it will happen naturally. But the if you're running it as an organisation, I think having a formal endpoint is a good piece of advice. So uh, that's that was that was good. And actually, I'm going to mention one of the people, this lady, she was called Erin Davis. Uh, she went on further on this and she said that she wants mentoring relationships. It's not just one way, it's two way. So it's not just about um, one side helping the other. It's about helping each other and having a truly collaborative uh, way forward. She was the one that pointed out that the one lady at the top will break if we expect everybody to go to them. So yes, my third point was about rules. And this is linked to the glue jobs piece. I didn't emphasise this so much in the problems, but one of the things was also mentioned at meetings is that people felt talked over. So there would be a personality side to this, weren't there, in terms of, I think I must be one of the people who's probably guilty about talking over men quite frequently. But in this context, in this environment, there was a greater proportion of times where women felt talked over, their sentences cut off, and they didn't get same amount of airspace as their male counterparts. And the way in which a number of companies dealt with this was about educating people about team meetings, about making sure that every meeting was chaired and maybe it was chaired by a woman. Uh, so and hopefully the woman wouldn't also have to take the minutes. So it's thinking about the roles involved in a successful meeting and making sure that they rotate round and just setting the expectations around that so that we didn't fall into habits and norms where the woman goes and does the glue job. Actually, everybody has a fair shot at doing uh, the chairing role and also any of the other supporting roles. So rules around those sort of common activities. And then finally, uh, there was this point which was raised by the lady that I mentioned earlier, Erin, uh, which I really liked in that they had put in place something, well, she called it a PAL, I think. 
And the pal was somebody in the workplace who's your friend, who's literally your pal. So if you didn't feel able to shout yourself because you're a bit too embarrassed, then they would shout about your successes and go out and tell others that you'd done, you know, done a great job. So it was having someone else or maybe a few people and building being in the habit of building each other up and saying how good they are. And that's something that I think we should all do for each other, frankly, as well. Uh, you know, some of the stuff going on in the communities and social media build each other up. Uh, together, we will become stronger. I think that's one of the themes of the HR uprising. And I thought that was a really fabulous way of doing it because very often we feel embarrassed. We feel immodest. It's it's not necessarily the way we've been brought up. So having someone else build you up in the eyes of others will help. Again, going back to my usual suspects analogy earlier, it just means it's not the usual suspect. You don't have to push yourself forward. Someone else can recommend you and that might give you that opportunity to shine. So how could we facilitate that better in our workplaces? So that concludes the information I've got to date on why people leave tech jobs, well, why women leave tech jobs. And as I said, it could be more broad than this. And hopefully you could see some of the problems that may or may not exist in your business and you can perhaps address them. Clearly, there are lots of other places where this sort of inequality takes place. And some of the ideas to fix things, don't think those would go to harm in any organisation, those four ideas about really embedding greater equality and diversity. So I hope you found that a little bit interesting, stimulating, uh, and perhaps with a bit of application to it. If you would like to comment, give me feedback, link in to me, uh, I'm really, really grateful for feedback. And actually, I'm just going to mention one other person who gave me feedback. So I'd really like to say thank you to a lady called Caroline Crawley. And I hope she doesn't mind me giving her a shout out because she took the time to personally give feedback that she'd found something helpful out of one of the podcasts. I think it was the onboarding one. Uh, and it was helping her in her new role. And I think we all like to make a difference. That's one of my biggest drivers. So that was a massive motivator. And I thought it was really kind that she'd um, given me that direct feedback. And on top of that, I wanted to thank Tamazin Sutton, some of you might know as well, because she had recommended the podcast to Caroline. So it was all paying it forward. So I very much appreciated that recommendation. And then finally, a lady called Siobhan Goodman, who's really been interacting and has suggested a new topic, which I think might have legs, called boomeranging. So we know we talked about onboarding a couple of weeks ago. Boomeranging, which is actually offboarding, how do we have an alumni this is a topic that I think might be worth a future podcast. So if there's anyone out here who's got something to say, please communicate with me in whichever way you feel comfortable. Uh, if this is adding value or if it could be improved, let me know and I'll do my best to take those comments on board. So I'm sure everybody is sick of the sound of my voice now. So I'm going to wrap up and I hope you're having a great day or whatever you're up to and a nice summer. And uh, I'll be back in touch next week. Thank you very much for listening. It's Lucinda Carney of the HR Uprising. And remember, when we look up together, we rise up together. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising podcast. You can access more information, including resources or links mentioned in the show at our website, www.hruprising.com. Also, you might want to join our LinkedIn community or tweet to us at HR Uprising. We'd love to hear from you.